They say that home is where the heart is, and that can absolutely be true. But for some people, home is where the terror is. Years ago, someone posted online a rather disturbing account of their experience in their new home. It was their sophomore year of college, and instead of looking at a typical dorm, this student and their friends were looking into renting a house on the campus, one that had a rather long history. Like a number of fraternities and sororities, everyone was excited to get the opportunity to move in together. So they decided to contact a realtor and get shown around the house. They went room to room seeing all that the house had to offer and were getting more and more comfortable with what could have easily become their college home. That's when they made their way down into the basement, perhaps what they thought would be a final area to get a look. But the house had one more surprise left. There was a large furnace in place to accommodate for a house on a college campus, which often had a fair number of bedrooms and people living there. That's when the one who tells this chilling story noticed a door hidden behind the furnace, a door which the realtor didn't even realize was there. Curious and wanting to see everything the house had to offer, they approached the door with the others and opened it. Inside was a scene that would turn blood cold. Among a bunch of old junk strewn about the room inside, senseless writing was splashed across the walls. But perhaps the most chilling sight of all was that of an old noose which hung from a support above. Needless to say, it was the last thing anyone was expecting. Later on, the students cut down the old noose and moved on from the haunting nature of the room hidden in the basement. And they never did find out what had happened inside of that room in that old, historied house. One man shared online something of a close call that he had when he was younger. When he was just a boy, he was visiting his grandparents' farm. It was a very large farm on over 1,000 acres of land. The land was called home by his family for a number of generations. And while visiting, he and his father went to the place where his great-great-grandparents once had a house... And though most of the house was long gone, there was still a lonely garage that remained. The boy was curious as to what was inside the garage, so he went to inspect it. He attempted to open the door to no avail. His father tried to help, but still the door wouldn't budge. It appeared as though it had rusted shut over an extended period of time. So, the boy, still wanting to know what was inside, perhaps now even more, looked for a way to peek inside. That's when he found a small hole and put his eye up close to try to solve the mystery. Inside the garage, he found a car. 
The boy believed it might have been a nice luxury car, so excitedly he told his father, who sort of laughed at the idea of a nice car being locked away in some remote garage in such a sleepy area of the country, where people didn't typically drive anything too luxurious at all. The two spent a little more time on their day out before leaving, and around a week later, the boy's father was talking to one of the people that rented a house on the large expanse of land, and laughed while telling the renter what his son thought he had seen in the old garage. The renter seemed a little confused, because there wasn't supposed to be any vehicle inside that garage. The renter eventually contacted the sheriff who went to get into the garage and be sure that everything was in order. The sheriff went to investigate and found a lot more than he was expecting. Once forcing the door open and looking inside the car, it was discovered that a dead body, that of a teenager, was in the driver's seat covered in blankets. It was believed that the teenager had frozen to death. He must have wanted to keep himself hidden in the garage, but running the car and closing the garage door wasn't a safe option. But unfortunately, the lingering grasp of a freezing cold night claimed his life. He was a runaway, and his family hadn't known what happened to their son for months. The man still wonders how long it might have taken them to find the body if his curiosity hadn't gotten the better of him that day. Roommates and alcohol can lead to an increase in curiosity, which can also lead to unexpected finds. A number of friends were living together some years ago, and while they knew the house like the back of their hands, the basement hadn't gotten very much attention, as basements usually don't when they're unfinished. But one night, while drinking and having a few laughs, they all decided that, being warmed up and brave from the drinking, that it was finally time to have a real look around what lingered beneath their shared home. So they equipped themselves with some flashlights and ventured down the basement stairs. Down at the far end of the basement, there was an entrance leading into a crawl space that extended out under the front porch. So one of the more daring roommates got down on the floor and dragged himself inside, flashlight leading the way. That's when he encountered something that no one was expecting. The roommate emerged back from the crawl space and with him was a duffel bag. To say the group was baffled by this find would be an understatement and they wasted little time carefully opening the bag up and looking inside, but its contents would be potentially shocking. Inside the bag they withdrew two black ski masks, a single black leather glove, and a four and a half inch knife. The knife's handle had been somehow broken, perhaps from harsh use. Stunned by their discovery, they reached out to the local authorities in the event that the contents inside the bag were used for less than innocent purposes. Perhaps surprisingly, the police weren't at all interested in seeing the items, and their origin remains and probably always will remain a mystery. It's a story that's hard to be believed. 
but for those who have had paranormal experiences, while it's not too out of the ordinary, it can still be rather chilling. One man recalls his teenage years that he spent in a house that had been standing on its land for over a hundred years. A house with plenty of history within its walls, but history wouldn't be the only thing to find. The man who tells his experience notes that he is, today, a skeptic of the paranormal. He is not easily convinced of anything of that nature. That may surprise some of you, considering what happened to him so many years ago. As a teen, he remembered what sounded like a ball bouncing against the floor, as if it were being played with, so he asked his parents about it. It's probably just the radiator, his parents would assure him, despite the fact that it didn't sound like the radiator, and its pattern seemed a lot less routine. Despite this, he took their word for it and went about his regular life for a couple more years. But that ball just kept on bouncing in the back of his mind until his curiosity got the better of him and he decided to actively try to make contact with whatever may have been haunting his house, if anything at all. Among his methods, he figured that one specific approach would be most likely to get him results, and it turned out that he was right. So he immediately got to work and found himself a piece of paper and some other supplies to make his very own homemade Ouija board. One of the things written on the board, aside from yes, no, numbers and letters, is the word hi. The boy asks question after question, and to his surprise, the pointer does in fact move, but most questions are answered simply with hi. Then he asked the spirit he believed to be conversing with how old it was, and the pointer moved to three. Some more questions led to yes or no answers, but others just led back to hi. The boy, having felt great excitement for the contact he made, quickly got his father. The father, however, was a staunch skeptic and didn't believe in ghosts in any way, shape, or form. The father, a little fed up with his son's antics, sits down at the Ouija board after being begged for long enough. One of the next questions the son asked was, Do you like to play with toys? The pointer shifted over to point at yes on the board. The son gave some recommendations on what kinds of toys the spirit might have liked to play with, but the pointer kept pointing at no with each new recommendation. Perhaps to only humor his son and thinking of older toys that the spirit might have been more familiar with, the father asked if the spirit liked to play with jacks. That's when the pointer shot directly at the word yes, as if it were excited to respond to that specific question. And right after this, beside the two on the floor, a loud bounce from the ball rang out. The man's son was terrified yet also excited, and he could see an expression of bewilderment plastered across his father's face. The father still dismissed the entire event, including the bouncing ball, though he did appear to be shaken. Over five years passed, and now the son had moved out, and his parents were remodeling parts of that old house, namely the kitchen. 
They started work on the pantry, and while doing some demolition, the father broke through a wall only to find some old items locked away inside the wall. Among the items were some old photographs, some marbles, and much to the father's absolute shock, a set of jacks. Immediately, he thought of the Ouija board with his son and remembered how eagerly it seemed to respond to being asked about playing with jacks. He called his son not long after to tell him about what he had found, and for the first time, he had no argument, nothing to say to explain any of it. To this day, the boy, now a man, still remains a strong skeptic in regards to the paranormal, but he still gets thrown for a loop whenever he thinks of that young spirit and the jacks he likely played with when he was alive so very long ago. That's all for this episode. Remember, you may not believe it, but anything is possible in a world so seriously strange. Being home alone can leave you feeling carefree or liberated, or perhaps vulnerable and threatened. Shyla moved into a new home when she was only nine years old, and it didn't take very long for her to know that the house was anything but normal. In fact, she knew the house was uncomfortably different from the day she moved in. Throughout the years of her youth, she would experience a number of phenomena and an overall feeling of being watched while living in the house. As soon as we moved into the house when I was nine years old, I was noticing a lot of weird stuff happening, like unexplainable noises. There was this closet in my bedroom that the doors would always open every night between 1 and 3 a.m., and there's nothing ever in there. There's always a tapping or scratching coming from the inside every night that kept me awake all most nights. The worst of this dark essence lingered in the basement, where Shiloh would feel the most overwhelmed and threatened. When walking on the stairs, she would often feel like she had something following right behind her and would at times feel an unseen force pulling or pushing her. The basement was terrifying to me. It felt like there was something always watching me down there and it didn't want me anywhere near there. Even her cats wanted nothing to do with it and would stare from the basement door down into the darkness, growling and hissing. But it turned out that whatever lingered in that house did, in fact, mean her harm. By the time that Shyla turned 20 years old, her mother and sister had both moved out, leaving her alone in the house full time. But the house would prove that she wasn't truly as alone as she had hoped. Considering the laundry was done down in the basement, Shyla did everything she could to resist going down there. It became so bad that I wouldn't do my laundry at home. I wouldn't go into the basement at all. Like I started sleepwalking and waking up on the basement stairs, which made that a whole lot worse. I just, I absolutely hated it. Like it was like, I have nightmares like still. But whatever it was in the basement seemed to find itself comfortable in Shyla's bedroom. 
and would often wait for her to get into bed at night before it would tamper with her life. This would happen in forms of violent attacks, which would sometimes pin Shyla down and leave her helpless to the torment. And as suddenly as the force would arrive, it would dissipate, leaving Shyla to believe and hope that it was all just some kind of twisted nightmare. But what Shyla couldn't explain were the marks she would end up with after the attacks, scratches and bruises, many of which she took photographs of to document the terrors. Once I started getting attacked, I knew I, it was real after when I was getting bruises, uh, bleeding claw marks, like welted like handprints all over my body from where it was would hit me or squeeze me or attack me. I've actually got scars across my ribs from where it like clawed me the worst. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Whatever lived with Shiloh wasn't only a mean spirit, but perhaps something much darker. Shyla, one morning after waking, while lying on her stomach and looking out her bedroom window into the snowy morning light, suddenly had her head forced down into her pillow, as if whatever was doing it was trying to suffocate her. The only sounds she could hear, aside from her own struggling, was a very familiar series of words being whispered, the Lord's Prayer. Shyla kept a number of crucifixes around her home, along with a few Bibles, and these things began to go missing after this attack. This is when the haunting was suspected to be something much stronger, much darker than a conventional haunting. Things have been hurled at Shyla, from cups to light bulbs being shot out of their sockets. I've had water bottles, like, just cups, any small things around the house thrown at me. I've had light bulbs fly out of the light sockets with just the uh, glass bulb. When all this started happening, I was really hoping it was just my imagination or all in my head because I was so terrified and I didn't want to believe it was real. And I didn't know what to do. I kept like moving away as many times as possible. Shyla has experienced a number of other phenomena, such as being locked outside in the cold when no one else was home, and a lot more. She continues to deal with these attacks to this day. It's good to know the history of your home, but perhaps sometimes it's best if you don't. Riss wasn't aware of her home's history. In fact, knowing the history was a little impractical, considering that her family was a military family, which required frequent moves to many different places, never staying put in one place too long. Riss has been a skeptic for as long as she can remember, never having believed in the paranormal. She believed that everything unexplained 
was just lacking a logical explanation. But one event that took place in a nice Colorado Springs home changed things. The house had three bedrooms, and with two siblings, Riss, eight years old at the time, shared a bedroom with her brother, while their younger sister, who was only just a baby, had the smallest bedroom to herself. Moving into this house went as typically as it could have. It didn't seem off. It was in a nice neighborhood. It looked nice. My mom really liked it, and... I guess I was okay with it. I mean, as okay as I could have been moving once again. Riss's little sister used to typically sleep well through the night, and for the first week in the new home, things seemed quite ordinary. But suddenly, Riss's little sister would start having trouble sleeping. Severe trouble. Late into the night, every single night, she would stand in her crib and begin crying hysterically, pointing at her closet. Despite her parents' best efforts to calm her down, she was inconsolable. When my little sister started screaming and crying every night, it was really weird and kind of scary. We didn't really know what was going on with her, and we kind of just assumed she was having night terrors, even though she'd never had any problems like that before. After some time, they made the decision to move her into their bedroom in hopes of calming her down, and it worked. Once she was out of the small bedroom, the little baby girl slept soundly again. Spotting an opportunity for privacy, Riss quickly moved herself into the vacant bedroom, not thinking anything of the bouts of crying from her baby sister. It wasn't long until Riss was plagued by nightmares when she tried to sleep. She'd sometimes snap awake, covered in a cold sweat, and a feeling of overwhelming dread weighing her down. These nightmares weren't like anything I've ever had before or since. The biggest difference was that when I'm having a normal nightmare, I can tell that I'm dreaming. And in these nightmares, I couldn't. The one I can recall the most vividly was me laying in bed in the exact same position I'd fallen asleep in. And to the right of me was a shadowy figure in the shape of a little girl. And it was completely blacked out, like so black, it stood out in the darkness of my room. And it put its chilly, cold hand over my mouth and my nose and was suffocating me, and it felt so real that I honestly thought I was going to die. And when I woke up and there was nothing there and I could breathe again, it honestly terrified me. And all of the nightmares in that room that I had from that moment on weren't normal nightmares. They always featured this shadowy figure, whether it was in the shape of a little girl or a little boy or a tall man terrorizing me in different ways and I'd never experienced anything like that before. The phenomena continued throughout their time in the home but Riss dealt with her unusual living arrangements knowing that it was only a matter of time before her family was going to move again. But about a year passed and a day came that Riss would never forget a day that she was left home alone. 
Riss's father had returned from deployment and the whole family had gone out together, but Riss decided that she wanted to stay behind and just spend some time with the house to herself reading. That's when she heard a peculiar noise. The stairs were creaking as if someone was walking up them slowly and with purpose, heavy footfalls pressuring the old wood. Riss had heard a lot of different noises through the home since they moved there, but she only knew the stairs to make those noises when someone was going up or down them. Riss thought her family must have returned, so when the footsteps stopped once they had reached the top of the stairs, she didn't think much of it and went back to reading. That's when her doorknob started to violently shake, as if someone was trying to force their way inside. The shaking accompanied banging onto the door, causing it to rock inside its frame. Rissa's heart leapt into her throat. Her door had a lock, but she realized that she hadn't locked it. All Riss could do was just stare at the door in shock. All she could think was that someone broke into her house and for some reason, they couldn't get inside her bedroom. But it wasn't someone breaking in, it was something that had always been there inside the house. The violent shaking stopped and Riss could hear the turning of a doorknob. But as she stared at her door, she realized that it wasn't her bedroom door's knob that was turning. The turning doorknob came from her closet door. The hinges to the closet door creaked and slowly it cracked open. Riss, terrified by this, sprung out of bed and charged out her bedroom door, no longer caring about what could have been waiting outside in the hallway. But thankfully and eerily, nothing was there. She immediately called her mother, crying inconsolably, much like her little sister had when she stayed in that very bedroom. After the event, Riss's mother decided to look into the history of the home and what she found out chilled the entire family. A man who had lived there in the past with his two children had, one night for reasons unknown, murdered his own children in their bedrooms. After committing his horrendous act, he hanged himself inside the closet of the house's smallest bedroom, the bedroom Riss and her little sister had used. I was too young to do research, but my mom did, because we all just wanted to know what was going on and why, and she did look into it quite heavily, and when she told me what had taken place in that room, the young children that had been murdered by their own father before he hung himself in the closet, the first thing I felt was utter sadness for those children. They didn't deserve to have their life taken that way. And then I was just scared. I was so terrified. I didn't want to be in that room anymore. I didn't want to sleep in that room anymore. I didn't want to think about the events that had taken place in that house and I just couldn't believe that it was real and I couldn't believe that someone would do that. Riss eventually moved out of the dark and haunting home with a murderous past, and she's thankful that she never has to go back. What should have been a small vacation turned into a horrific memory that will never be forgotten. 
Zayton was 13 years old at the time when his family left Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for a short camping trip in Ohio, a few hours away. Zayton's parents allowed him to stay behind alone, considering that they weren't going to be gone long. Once his family left, the good times were ready to begin. Or so he thought. It wasn't a normal occurrence for my family to leave me home alone. So, that day when they decided to go camping, I had the house to myself. I was very much planning on spending it playing video games on the family computer and watching movies I wasn't supposed to. Zayton eventually had to use the bathroom, so he paused his movie and made his way upstairs. The only bathroom to use was on the second floor at the far end of the hallway, past the bedrooms, which all had their lights off due to the fact that no one else was home. But after using the bathroom, Zaytin walked back down the hallway and noticed that his older brother's bedroom light was suddenly on. After I had left the restroom, I had noticed the light in my brother's room almost immediately. It was normal for me to forget doing things as a kid because I was always all over the place. So I, I honestly just shrugged it off at first as me being forgetful. It wasn't until I started going down the stairs and hearing the TV played that I really panicked because I did remember pausing it. So when I slowly crept through to the hallway and I saw my brother sitting on the couch my body was just met with instant dread. I had goosebumps. All the hair on my body stood straight up. He was just sitting there staring. He got in the car. He wasn't supposed to be there. His older brother left for the camping trip hours away. He knew it. He saw him leave. But there he seemed to be, sitting and watching the movie. He had paused before going to the bathroom. Overwhelmed by terror, Zayton fled from the house and went to a neighbor. After all that had happened, I had gone straight to a family friend's house and spent the rest of the weekend there. I didn't exactly tell them what happened, I just said that I'd watched a scary movie and I spooked myself, which was the farthest thing from the truth. I still to this day don't know how to explain things, and I am 100% sure what I had saw and witnessed was a skinwalker. Photos confirmed that Zayton's brother was in fact with the family hours away and couldn't have possibly returned home. Whatever Zayton saw that night is a mystery, but one thing that's for sure is that it wasn't who it appeared to be. That's all for now. Remember, you may not believe it, but anything is possible in a world so seriously strange. Have you ever felt something was off inside your home? Perhaps food isn't where you left it, or a door was left open that you could have sworn that you closed. Perhaps it's all in your head, or maybe you might just have a roommate you never knew you had.
Squatters tend to take up residence in abandoned buildings and houses. The crawlspace of an elderly woman's home seems an unlikely hideaway. In Yelm, Washington, an hour drive south of Seattle, 73-year-old Velma Kellen lived in her three-bedroom home with her three dogs. Velma was a retired caregiver and for 13 years of her life lived in her house alone. And then rather mysterious events started happening. Every once in a while, she would find that her back gate was left open. She'd think nothing of it and would cheerfully go about her day. But soon enough, strange smells began lingering in the air. Velma claimed it must have been marijuana, describing it as worse than cigarette smoke. She became more diligent in making sure the latch on her back gate was secure. But even so, she would wake up in the morning to find it open once again. Velma was concerned, but she ignored it still. For months, this continued, and her home eventually grew unnaturally cold once the winter came. Thinking her furnace was starting to go, Velma bought a new one before Christmas, though the new furnace didn't seem to help. A few weeks later, after the new year had arrived, Velma finally called a repairman to figure out why her home, especially the front part of her home, refused to warm up. The repairman went outside for a few minutes to assess the problem and came back with an empty beer can and an answer. Someone had cut one of her air ducts below her house, redirecting the air to the crawl space where they were residing. Beer cans and liquor bottles littered the dusty space beneath her home. Velma was shocked, to say the least. Knowing the intruder even fooled her three dogs as they never barked to alert her of the presence of a stranger or strangers. Velma had no idea who had been living with her for those few months and was charged $500 to fix the damage to her air duct. The intruder or intruders haven't returned since, and police are still trying to figure out who was living under Velma's house. Stanley Carter, originally from Arkansas, had been staying in one half of a duplex in Pennsylvania. After prolonged disagreements, the 21-year-old had worn out his welcome and was asked to leave. Having nowhere to go, Stanley disappeared without a trace suddenly on December 19, 2008. A missing persons report was filed a few days later, but it didn't take too long for Stanley to reappear. Stacy Ferentz and her three children lived with two cats in the other half of the same duplex. Hearing noises at night wasn't foreign to them, but when things started vanishing, Stacy grew uneasy. It had turned out that Stanley hadn't gone very far. Stanley had moved in just upstairs to the shared attic of the duplex and had access to the Ferentz home through a door in Stacy's bedroom closet ceiling. Stanley had a makeshift bed in the attic with a blanket and insulation to keep him warm. He had even and cut a hole in the ceiling to know when the family left so we'd have free range of their home. On Christmas, after visiting family in the morning, Stacy and her children returned to find money from Christmas cards, a laptop computer, and a brand new iPod Nano missing. The police showed up, took their statements, and that was all they could really do. The family went out a second time at around 6 p.m. and had returned about five hours later to find more things were missing. The next day, Stacy's father, Robert Ferentz, who owned the house, suggested she check the attic. It was then that Stacy discovered a dirty footprint on the wall in her bedroom closet going up to the small ceiling door. She immediately phoned police. While they were checking her attic entrance, they heard footsteps and the door was suddenly pushed closed. The police shouted up, but Stanley refused to respond and continued to hold the door shut. It wasn't until the officers brought in a police dog that he surrendered. When he came down 
down from the attic, he was wearing Stacy's daughter's pants and Stacy's sweatshirt and sneakers. In their search, police found Stanley had been using the stolen laptop to send out emails. Aside from the computer and the iPod, he also had a stash of medicine, juice boxes, food, soda, and Stacy's toothbrush. Officers even found a list of every stolen item on a piece of paper labeled Stanley's Christmas List. Stanley was apprehended and charged with multiple counts of burglary, theft, criminal trespassing, and receiving stolen property. In September of 1941 in Denver, Colorado, Philip Peters was on his way home from work. It was at this time when 59-year-old Theodore Edward Coney's a childhood friend bumped into him. Theodore had been running low on cash and found Philip with the intention of asking his old friend for a loan. Unfortunately, Philip had been running into his own money troubles as he cared for his wife who had recently been hospitalized for two weeks due to a broken hip. Philip respectfully refused and went on his way. Theodore, however, was too desperate to let the situation go. Theodore kept an eye on his old friend's house and studied Philip's comings and goings. One day, Philip forgot to lock the door, and needing to escape the increasingly cold weather, Theodore snuck inside where he found food and shelter. After exploring the house, Theodore even found a small door in the ceiling of a closet that led into a narrow attic cubbyhole. Realizing that he could remain hidden from the home's true owner, the man took up residence in the tiny space, only sneaking down at night for food and water. This lasted for about a month. On October 17, 1941, Theodore had come out of the attic thinking Philip to be at the hospital visiting with his wife, but in a few rooms over, Philip was napping. Theodore came down from the attic and went into the kitchen, his usual routine, not paying attention to the amount of noise he made. Philip woke up and went downstairs to investigate. The two spotted each other, and afraid of losing his only shelter from the cold, Theodore grabbed the nearest object, a heavy iron stove shaker, and bludgeoned the 73-year-old man to death before returning to his cubbyhole. Neighbors who had been helping Philip through his wife's ordeal did notice his absence. When they came to the house to check in, the house was dark, the doors were locked, and the doorbell went unanswered. One neighbor found a loose screen window and pried it open to climb inside. She entered, only to find Philip's body lying bloody on the floor. Police investigators found no signs of forced entry and were clueless as to how the murderer could have gotten in. They did note the door in the ceiling, but believed no normal-sized person could fit through. Theodore, naturally being a very small and frail man, was able to slip through the door quite easily, and he considered himself safe. After a while, Philip's wife ended her stay at the hospital and returned home. At night, she and her housekeeper would hear noises and see shadows, so they made frequent phone calls to the authorities. But when the police would examine the house, they found nothing suspicious. Again, the cubbyhole was left unchecked. Months went by, and police eventually stopped responding to Philip's wife's claims. Eventually, it became too much for her to bear. She and her housekeeper abandoned the home, unknowingly letting Theodore keep it all to himself. Rumors surrounded the building and kids even dared each other to go in. None ever came close enough. From the streets, they could see the shadows of Theodore moving and hear the noises coming from inside. It wasn't until July 30th in 1942, 11 months after Theodore had control of the entire house, where an officer on a routine patrol happened to catch a glimpse of Theodore pulling a curtain closed. 
Upon entering, the police heard him running back to his hiding spot. They caught him with his leg hanging from the hole in the ceiling and pulled him down. He harmlessly fell to the floor and was apprehended. Dubbed the Denver Spider-Man, Theodore Edward Conies was finally caught. Theodore was tried and sentenced to life in the Colorado State Penitentiary where he died on May 16th. 1967. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way because we can't do this without our listeners support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.